Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you actively struggle to see Jesus Christ glorified in your life and in the lives of others? Do you have a heart to see greater unity in the body of Christ? Did you know that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ our Lord? Let's open now to Colossians chapter 2 and see what the Word of God has to say on all these things. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to another teaching. It is January 15th today, uh, 2021, uh, here in Texas. Hope everyone is doing well, and uh, and I hope everyone is applying themselves um, this year more and more and more and more to spending time with Jesus. Hopefully, you've been giving yourself more and more to, to time in your Bible, in the Word of God, um, hopefully you had more times of, uh, of prayer and of thanksgiving and of worship, uh, to the Trinity, to the father, uh, the son and the Holy spirit. All of them deserve our praise. All of them deserve our worship. All of them deserve our thanksgiving. And you can pray to all of them. Uh, you can direct your prayers to your heavenly father. You can direct them to Jesus uh, or the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all knowing. They're all, all, all powerful. Um, they don't get jealous. Your heavenly father doesn't get jealous. If you talk to Jesus too much, Jesus doesn't get jealous. If you talk to the Holy Spirit too much. Um, so we want to grow in relationship with every member of the Trinity, our heavenly father, God, the father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, the son, and the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. Um, we want to grow and mature and experience relationship with all of them individually and collectively. Uh, we want to have a relationship with them. And that's a, that's a profound thing, but you do that by spending time with them, by praising them, by worshiping them, by praying, uh, to them. And I will say, uh, only those three should we be praising and worshiping and praying to? Uh, we don't worship people. We don't pray to people. Um, we only pray to God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. So hopefully everyone's doing well in that uh, 2021 that you've kicked off a new year and, um, and are really applying yourself to, uh, you know, to trying to grow, to be like Jesus. There's really no better use of our time than when we're trying to, to apply ourselves to Christ likeness, to being more like Jesus. Um, well, thank you, Lord. Today, we're just going to do, uh, we're going to do five verses. It's going to be Colossians chapter two, verses one through five. I chose this passage because we did it in in Bible study this past Wednesday, um, my big brother Wade Hulsey uh, led the Bible study, and uh, man, he did a uh, 
he did a great job in really uh, facilitating an interactive Bible study. Um, you know, when when we're in Bible study, the 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 more interactive the Bible study is, the more that that brothers and sisters in Christ are participating and sharing and making application to their lives in whatever we're studying, the better off it is. Um, and so Wade did uh, did a great job with that. My younger brother, Jared, just brought some incredible insights. Um, thank you, brother. And uh, as did all the other guys. Um, so um, they went farther, a little farther than one to five. Today, we're just going to discuss Colossians chapter two, um, verses one through five. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll read it and we will get right into it. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your favor and your mercy and your goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love, Lord Jesus. Father, we, we thank you for the word of God. And as always, above all things, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures. I ask you to open our minds and our hearts that we might truly understand the word of God, that we might be convicted, uh, that we might be, that our minds might be open, that we might believe the word of God in greater depth, and that we might uh, be convicted to live uh, in line with the word of God that we study today. Help us to live it out, Holy Spirit. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, in delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The first question we should always ask ourselves, and I've said this over and over and over and over, when we come to the scriptures is why, why is this in the Bible? Why was this included in the Bible? When the Holy Spirit was moving on the heart of the Apostle Paul to write this, why did he move on Paul to write these verses? Um, now, the reason it's in the Bible According to Romans 15.4, Paul said in Romans 15.4 that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us, Jared, right? It's, it's not just there so that we could have a good story. It's not there to be a history lesson. Sometimes when we come to passages, we'll go back and get all kinds of uh, historical context, geographical context, cultural context, and we'll get an amazing history lesson, but we really won't get anything to instruct us or to teach us. 
um, Wade did a good job in making sure that 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 we were instructed in facilitating a Bible study so that that we learned and made application to our lives so that it would serve us. If if we come to the scriptures and all we get is a is a history lesson of what happened in that time, we we're really no better off. The Bible was never meant to be a history book. The scriptures are the living word of God. And again, Romans 15, 4, everything that was written in the past, our whole Bible is written in the past, is written to teach us, to instruct us, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11, Paul says, these things are written down as examples to us. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that when they read the scriptures, and he's talking about times with Moses, that what you read in there is an example to us. So it's the same with us today. When we look into these scriptures, these scriptures are an example to us. And we know that because the scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in principle, how the Lord deals with his people then is how he's going to deal with them now. Now, there are difference between the two covenants and how, how God dealt with people uh, before the cross and after the cross. But nonetheless, when we study the scriptures, the principles we find in the scriptures, we always want to uh, apply them to ourselves and then make application in our own lives. Hopefully that makes sense. So when we come to verse one here, I want you to know, Paul says, how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Um, so a little background, it's probable Paul has never been to Colossae. So, so most of them probably have not met Paul personally who are getting this letter. There may have been people that Paul met along the way and went back to Colossae, but it's probable that he has not been there. Um, but look what he says. He says that, that he wants them to know how much he's struggling for them. And for those at Laodicea, which was, you know, a church in another area. And for all who have not met me personally, how, how much do we really struggle, Gary? How much do we struggle for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Do you have a lifestyle where you struggle in prayer for the unity of the body of Christ? Do you have a lifestyle where, you know, where when you see things that are not as they ought to be, that you, you truly are, are passionate about seeing the word of God and the will of God done in the lives uh, of the church? We see here in the great apostle Paul, this tremendous struggling. Now, when he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling, he's not boasting here. He is, he's, he's explaining to them his genuine concern and passion, you know, and he says why he's struggling for them. Um, he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. We ought to have a struggle going on in us that we really do want to see 
the body of Christ, not just our particular local church, wherever that is, but that, that we ought to have a purpose like Paul when he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in one in heart and united in love. As Christians, we ought to have this struggle in us, this desire to see unity in the body of Christ. And, uh, and frankly, we, we don't have it. We, we don't have unity in the body of Christ by any imagination. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have almost certainly never had less unity than we do now. Certainly the Reformation came in and uh, the, the proper understanding uh, with the, the, the great men of God who ushered that in, uh, Knox and Luther and all these guys that brought in the Reformation where we, we came to see that we could study the word of God and to interpret it. And it means exactly what it says. And, and obviously the primary message that came out of that was that salvation is indeed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because that's what the, the scriptures clearly teach. Um, you know, Martin Luther's great phrase that when he was reading Romans, when he was just overwhelmed with sin, and then he read in, in Romans 3, right, 21, but now a righteousness from God has been made available. And this is a righteousness that comes by faith through all who believe in Jesus Christ. And the revelation came to, to, to Luther that you're made right with God, not by anything you've done, but you're made right with God by your trust and reliance and faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf and in your place. And when you do trust in Jesus Christ, when you call on Jesus and ask him to come into your heart, Scott, when you say, Lord Jesus, I do confess to you that I am a, a sinful person. And I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that you lived a, a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you're alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin and bring me to heaven when I die. And I place all my trust and faith and confidence in you alone, Jesus, to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. When we pray and receive Jesus, we are made right with God in that moment, not by anything we've done, but by our trust in receiving Jesus Christ, all of our sin, past, present, and future, is credited to the cross of Christ. And the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived is credited to us. It's a pretty amazing swap, as I've said several times. And that exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. The exchange is my completely sinful life, my disobedient life, for the perfect righteous life of Christ. It almost seems too good to be true, but that's what the Bible teaches. And, you know, that was the, the main focus of the Reformation when it was brought in. It, you know, it, it brought us to that point. Now, that message of salvation, for the most part in the body of Christ, has tremendous unity. Uh, all the various denominations, uh, I think I saw somewhere that there were 1,100 denominations of Christianity. That's anything but unity. Paul's heart is that we, that we be 
encouraged in heart and united in love. And he struggled for that. As Christians and, and for us that are particularly us that are ministers and pastors and teachers and priests, I mean, um, we need to get back to where we are helping Christians be united around the Son of God and the Word of God. And that's all that matters. We need to have unity in the Word of God and the Son of God and in the plain teaching of the Word of God. Uh, it's been said in, in the church we need to agree on the essentials, which we must, and we'll have no choice but to agree to disagree on the non-essentials. But one of the reasons the church does not have the power it ought in the culture, uh, the intention of Jesus Christ, the author of the church, is that the church would have so much power that it would just transform and overwhelm the world. Well, that hasn't happened. Okay? The church has not moved in a unity, and therefore it has not had a power to bring profound, overwhelming, Christ-like influence to the world. And, and that's, that's the intention Jesus has for us as a church. And when I say church, I'm meaning all Christians universally in the world. Um, as well as each individual little building in church, right? Or big building as it is. Um, you know, it's our job to go out and to, and to really influence the world to Christ. But in many ways, dare I say most ways, it's the opposite. It's that the world has influenced the church. And as leaders, we need to repent. And we're all at fault. All of us. You know, we, we have to do a better job as Christian leaders. Uh, I, I have to do a much better job. And, uh, you know, in, in really making an effort to walk in unity um, in the body of Christ. And Paul struggled for this. You know, he really struggled that we would all be on the same page. But it, it takes effort. It takes humility. Um, and, and most of all, it's going to take repentance from us one and all, uh, as I said, for all Christians, but, uh, particularly as, uh, as ministers to, to really bring about, uh, this change and to bring about this unity. And if we will do it, we will see the church, you know, have a, have a far greater, more powerful influence, uh, than we could ever imagine. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to have a purpose that other believers truly be encouraged in heart. Um, and, 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 and many churches do a very good job at this. But it ought to be a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing, not just a Sunday morning thing. It's all of our job as Christians to make sure our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who would be are encouraged in heart but now look what he says. It's not just encouraged in heart for the sake for us to be happy or blissful. He says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow. 
That's a mouthful right there. That's a sentence, right? The sentence covers all of verse 2 and verse 3. That sentence is so profound. It's so overwhelming, okay? He wants them to be encouraged in heart and united in love for a reason, so that you and I would have the full riches of complete understanding. And with that complete understanding, what does he want us to understand? He doesn't want us to understand the things of the world more. He doesn't want us to understand our hobbies more, all of which are, are fine, but he wants us to have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul's struggle and Paul's prayer and Paul's focus is that you and I would know the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ, the God-man. As Jared was teaching us, uh, we know Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And, and, and this mystery of Christ, when we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we spend the rest of our lives, Esther, in growing to more deeply know Jesus Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see what that said? In Jesus Christ is where you'll find all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Where do we seek to find wisdom and knowledge? Most of us, even as Christians, often look to the world, and sometimes we can even look to the people of the world, God forbid, for wisdom and knowledge. Verse 3 says that in Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus, Nathan, and growing to know Jesus, and growing to walk with Jesus, and growing to know this mystery that is Jesus, the mystery that God himself willingly became a human man, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life for you and me, died a perfect death for you and me, and is alive and risen and full-blown God in heaven. That mystery, as we grow to know that more, as we grow to walk with Jesus more, as we grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus, we will increasingly grow to more and more understand all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So did you hear what that said? There is no wisdom, Anthony, there is no wisdom, Matthew, or knowledge outside of Jesus. Because it just said, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge may. So that means there is no wisdom and knowledge outside of Jesus. Not that's worth, worth anything. And that's a hard word. You want Jesus Christ to be a part of everything. Okay? In everything you do, just pick out anything you do. Let's say you're buying a home. Okay? Let's say you're looking for a, a job. Okay? It's in Jesus Christ that you'll learn, Francis and Esther, right? It's only in Jesus Christ that you will find 
the true wisdom and the true knowledge in the best way to look for work and the best way to shop for a car. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to do your homework, okay? Um, let's say you want to study history, right? And, you know, you just have a, a, an interest in history. Obviously, you're going to have to go do the work just to find out, say you're studying the history of your country uh, or the history of Abraham Lincoln. Um, you're going to have to go do the, the legwork and, and find out, you know, what there is to know about Abraham Lincoln. But it's only in Christ, in walking with Christ, can you glean true benefit from that history that you've learned. Does that make sense? Jesus will absolutely, positively make every single thing in your life better. Okay? Jesus Christ is God. There is no wisdom and there is no knowledge outside of Jesus that can benefit you for eternity. Now, that's a heavy statement because the vast majority of us, even as Christians, do not live our lives this way. That you know what? That in order that you may know and know better and better and better and grow to know better the mystery of God, namely Christ. You notice how the mystery of God is namely Christ? There is no God. There is no nothing. There is no value. There is no meaning without Jesus Christ in life at all. Jesus Christ is the center of everything. In order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, that's the mystery of God. If you're trying to know God without Jesus, you can't do it. It's worthless. Everything is in Christ. Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus. That's just profound. It's in Christ are hidden all the treasures. The treasures, the treasures, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to truly know something, know it in Christ. I'll say this again. It doesn't mean you don't, you're not going to be able to go become a nurse if you don't go to nursing school and learn all those things. But if while you're in nursing school, you're applying yourself to the mystery of Christ and knowing him, there will be wisdom and knowledge about being a nurse in Christ that, that, that a nurse that's not applying themselves to this will never know. If you're a doctor today or a surgeon today, obviously you have to go to medical school and then, you know, whatever surgeon you are, you'll have to go to that school. If you're a back and orthopedic, you have to do all those things. But if you'll do all those things in Christ, applying yourself to Christ, looking for the, the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, trust me, Jesus knows more about heart surgery than any heart doctor does. Jesus is called, right, the great physician. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. That's, that's a big deal. And that's the thing with anything. It doesn't matter what you are, okay? You could be a salesman, right? Uh, you could sell homes or cars or whatever you're doing. The more Jesus you have in it, the deeper and more profound you'll be at anything. My wife's a piano teacher, a worship leader, right? And the more she does it in Christ, the more she does it, Lynn's, right? Applying herself, 
to the mystery of Christ, the more she looks for the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the better she'll be as a teacher, the better she'll be at understanding music because Jesus invented music. Think about that. Jesus invented music. Jesus invented language. We said in the last teaching, he created everything. Right, Robin? Verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And that's what, that's what everything outside of the Bible offers. Whatever fine-sounding argument you've bought into, repent. If it's not in your Bible, if it's not tied to Jesus Christ, it, it really has no worth in God's sight. Now, I know that sounds hard, but that's what the Bible teaches. Unambiguously. Now, Jesus gave his life for you. Can you see why that would be? Uh, last, last, uh, last podcast, we talked about how Jesus created the universe. Right, Dustin? In all that goes into the universe. Uh, I misspoke on the last podcast. I called it a... Uh, a time-space continuum, and I was corrected by one of the IT guys that said it's a space-time continuum. And I don't even know what that means. But I know it's a big deal, right? Jesus invented all that, created all that. If, if, if we're not giving ourselves increasingly to Jesus Christ, we're open to being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. So... Whatever it is you're talking about, whoever is trying to give some wisdom or knowledge on God or anything else, if it's not found in the word of God and the son of God, don't listen to it. The only value will be in the word of God and the son of God. That's what the scripture teaches. Jesus said that every human being needs him. There's no other way to have your sins forgiven, but in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There were people trying to come into the Colossian church and bring other arguments about who, you know, who Jesus was, right? And, and deceive the people. There was this process of Gnosticism they would talk about and that, you know, that, uh, that God wouldn't become a man and all these other things. No, no, no. The mystery is that God did become a human man, was born of a human woman, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and is alive and risen. And if you'll trust in him, trust in Jesus and call on him and ask him to be the Lord of your life, you'll be saved from your sin. You'll come into relationship with God as your heavenly father. God the father will be your heavenly father. Jesus Christ will be your Lord and your savior and your master and your king and your friend and your God. And the Holy Spirit will be your guide and your comforter. That's the mystery. And then you spend the rest of your life, all of us, in growing to know Jesus better. Thank you, Lord. Verse five. We're going to finish up here. Verse 5, Paul said, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. There's a few things in this verse, but let's tackle that last one since we just talked about it. Uh, Paul is delighted to see how firm your faith in Christ is. So wherever you are today, 
what matters above all things is that you're continually to grow, continuing to grow more and more and more firm in your faith in Christ. There's nothing more important to us in, in all the world than continuing to have a growing and more and more firm faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is your faith in Jesus today firm? Is it steadfast? All of us could have more. I want more Jesus and then more Jesus than that. I'm convinced. And the Bible makes it clear that nothing else in our life compares. Nothing else is worth anything. You, we need Jesus and we need more Jesus. You want to know what your heavenly father is like? God the father, get to know Jesus better. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the father. Paul's delighted to see that they're orderly and that their faith in Christ is firm. And that's his concern and that ought to be ours. We can ask Jesus to help us to be, to have a greater and more firm faith in him. As we apply ourselves more and more to the study of the word of God, our faith in Christ will grow. As you pray, and, and, and labor to cultivate your relationship with your heavenly father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, your faith in Christ will grow. When you praise Jesus and worship Jesus, the firmness of your faith in Christ will grow. When you spend time in thanksgiving, just thanking Jesus and your father in heaven and the Holy Spirit, your faith in Christ will grow. The most important thing of our, in our lives is that our faith in Christ continue to grow more and more firm and steadfast. But what does he mean when he says, for though I am absent from you in body, so he's clearly not with them, right? I am present with you in spirit. What does he mean by that? So it's not that this does not mean that the Holy Spirit teleported him to where the church was so that he could actually see with physical eyes. What Paul is simply saying is, although I'm not with you physically, I'm with you in heart. My heart is with you. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited as my family. Because remember, as Christians, we're all part of one family. We're called the body of Christ. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, Jesus comes and lives inside of you. Literally, Jesus comes and lives in you by his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He joins himself to your spirit. And then the Holy Spirit immerses you and makes you a part of this body of Christ. So we're, we are all connected with one another in the body of Christ, in spirit. We're all related to one another. We're all part of this body of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. So, so Paul is, is saying that, you know, you know, my heart is with you. My desires are for you. Uh, like my brother Stephen said, my prayers are for you. And it's demonstrated in this way. And, and again, this is, this is the kind of people we want to be. Like when we're not around some brothers or sisters or friends, brothers, uh, fellow Christians, you know, is your heart still with them? 
Are you still thinking about them? Um, are you delighted like Paul when you see that their lives are orderly and that their faith in Christ is firm? We want to be the type of people that that's our concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they're living orderly, growing Christ-like lives. Verse 5, I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And that, that, ought, to, that ought to be our cry, Wade. That ought to be our concern, Abraham, right? Our concern is first that, that we ourselves are living orderly, productive Christian lives, and that our faith in Christ is growing to be more and more firm, Jack. But then that, that also that, that, that we have that heart and desire, Dustin, for others. That we want to see others as well. Having orderly, Christ-centered, Christ-like, fruitful lives. Increasingly having a faith in Christ that's more and more firm and steadfast. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Just powerful verses here. Um, again, thanks, guys, uh, the Bible study guys, that, uh, that we did this study. It's a good word. Well, Father, we do thank you and praise you and worship you and love you. Father, we thank you again for the word of God our Bible, and for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, our Master, our God, and our King. Holy Spirit, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. Uh, we ask you to continue to open our hearts to the Scriptures. Father, we do ask you to help us now to be men and women who do struggle in prayer and in desire uh, that we might truly have a body of Christ that is increasingly encouraged in heart, but also united in love. Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me just where, where I have not been helpful in this, Lord. I ask you to help us, Father, to, 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 to truly be united in love and on the same page, Lord, so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding, Lord, and that we might use that in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Father, we ask you to help us and lead us, Holy Spirit, that we might know Jesus and walk with Jesus in a more deep and profound way. And Father, I pray your protection over us one and all, that we may not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments, uh, not by people of this world or spiritual forces, Lord. Um, I pray, Father, that you would protect us that we would never be deceived from walking away from Jesus Christ, our only Lord, our only Savior, our only Master, our only God, and our only King. Father, we love you and we bless you and we praise you. We commit this time into your hands, Father. Help us, Father, to consistently walk increasingly orderly and Christ-like lives. And I ask you to help us that our faith in Christ would grow more and more firm, more and more steadfast as we grow to know our Lord Jesus more and more and more and more. For Father, it's in Jesus' name we praise you and worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org. If you'd like to email us directly, you can reach us at contact at kingdomd.org. 